0: You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Acts chapter 20, want to encourage you to dive in there. Uh, We're going to finish off Acts 20. We began the talk uh, last week. We're doing a mini-series in Acts 20, uh, The Disciple-Making Church. And as I processed uh, this chapter, it was just so beautiful uh, how Paul and his team were committed to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let me show you that passage again, uh, Matthew 28. We have a good sense of where Jesus was at a place in Galilee called Mount Arbel. Mount Arbel hovers over the Sea of Galilee in the northern part, and it's about 700 feet, it's just majestic. And when you go up there, you can just kind of picture yourself with Jesus given this great commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore do what? Go. Go into all the world. There's a 360 view of all the world. And make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? It starts with baptism. Isn't it interesting that Jesus puts baptism first? It's because of what Caitlin said, um, identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, following Jesus who was baptized by John the Baptist. Baptism's a big deal. So to become a disciple, it's to be baptized as a believer. And then notice the second thing. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, long with you always, even to the ends of the age. Folks, this is beautiful. Baptizing, teaching. And so as Caitlin said, uh, we do. We have a bonus Sunday. So we're gonna be doing baptism next week and then Easter. We're just rejoicing already. We have some students, some adults signed up. Moving forward with obedience of faith. But when I think about making disciples, these past uh, few weeks have just been exceptional, folks. We had about 30 plus people at the Spiritual Pathways retreat. If you were at the Spiritual Pathways retreat and you enjoyed it, why don't you give a woohoo, Caitlin style? Kinda. One guy just smirked, not gonna do it. It was a woohoo, wasn't it? It was a God time. It was just majestic what God did. And we discovered our spiritual pathways, how to encounter God. That's part of uh, being a disciple of Jesus. And then tomorrow night, folks, we launch our third session for Leadership Pipeline. And we have a grand group coming out, some new folks in our church. And we are so excited to continue the process of disciple-making. So Acts 20, hopefully you have your connect card. Again, this is part two of the disciple-making church. Let me share with you the blessing. Because of the mandate of Christ, Westwind Church must prioritize being a disciple-making church. And as I've illustrated, it's happening here. And thank God for your commitment to following after Christ, for your commitment to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to being equipped as leaders, to taking next steps in your faith journey. Uh, What a joy it is to pastor uh, Westwind Church. So stand with me. We're going to look at four priorities, the total of seven from Acts 20. Hopefully you have your Bibles out. So many of you do. Way to go. This is a Bible church, right? Uh, people of the book. So, so encouraging. So priority number four, prioritize, <clears throat> disciple-making churches, prioritize the gospel. And you're going to see in Acts 20, this is Paul's heart. And he just kind of oozes it time and time again. And so track with me, uh, verses 17 through 21. Now from Miletus, Paul he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And I need to pause and connect the dots from last week. Remember, he's on a mission trip. He has 19 members. They're heading to Jerusalem to do what? Provide care, financial support, for the church in Jerusalem and Israel that is famine-stricken. He really wanted to stop at Ephesus, but he was so urgent to get the relief there, he just meets with the elders at a place called Miletus. So they travel about a two day journey to meet him there. And now, what we're going to see in Acts 20 is Paul meeting with the elders of the church at Ephesus, where he served over two years. So, application right out of the gate. For those serving in the role of elder technical, this is directly to you. However, We're all called to be shepherds of the flock of God, whether it's children's ministry, youth ministry, whether it's in our home, husband, wife, with the kids. We're all called to uh, shepherd the flock. So these principles which are given to elders are all true for the body of Christ. And so continuing on, and when they came to him, meaning the elders from Ephesus came to Paul at Miletus, he said to them, you know, for the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. Notice his heart here, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, and that's been the common theme, and that I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching it to you in public and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about two things. This is the gospel, about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated. And so basically, Paul is saying to the elders of Ephesus, he's saying, you know something. You have record. You lived with me. You walked with me. There is an eyewitness testimony that for two years, I was gospel-centric. I didn't get off point. I testified that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we are called to two things, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to suggest this. Paul kept the main thing the main thing. Can you imagine going through the suffering that the Apostle Paul went through? One thing after another, one attack, and it was hard, it was difficult, but he never got off point. Why? Why? He knew Romans 1 16 through 17 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. Why? Because the just shall live by faith. Paul knew that. And so he didn't really care so much about his hurdles, his hardship, his pain. He was gospel centric. And friends, to be a disciple making church elders of Westwin staying focused on the main thing the gospel of jesus christ now in your handout i want to highlight two things that are essential and there's a little bit of debate about this in christendom today but i want to encourage you not in the bible every time you and i have the privilege to share the gospel of jesus christ it will have two components component number one repentance And again, that's one of those things that sometimes we just kind of shelf these days. It's not too appealing to talk about repentance. But can I encourage you? Repentance is a gift. It's something that God does in and through us. You know what repentance simply is? It's the Spirit of God working in concert with the Word of God to convict us of what? Sin. Sin. That I'm going my way, sin's way, self-way. I'm doing my own thing. I've turned my back on God. I'm going the wrong way. Repentance says God works, a supernatural gift, and I go God's way. That's repentance. That happened to me when I was 19, and I recognized I was a sinner. Turned from my sin, turned to the Savior, found in Christ, and a life of faith began. Now folks, we have to ask the question: why repentance? Well, let me show it to you. Romans 3:23, a very familiar verse. I hope it never gets too familiar. "For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." Each and every one of us here this morning have sinned. We've missed the mark. What is sin? It's fallen short of God's glory, his majesty. When God created humanity, Adam and Eve, we were made in his image and likeness. Sin mars that image. Sin destroys his glory in our life. So instead of looking at each other and seeing the glory of God, what do we see? We fall short. Let me try to paint a picture of that. You know, I enjoy this beautiful place at the Grand Tetons. We've used it for vision proper. It's one of a, a sacred place in, in my mind. Ellen and I spent four days hiking the Tetons about a year ago. 6.30 a.m., sun is rising in the east, moon's still up in the west, the Grand Tetons. We're, st- we're at a place called Schomburg's Landing and there's Snake River. Notice the Tetons reflecting its glory on the Snake River. It is a beautiful, beautiful place, folks. It is serene. It is just majestic. People come from all over the country to take photographs. met a guy from New York City. But just imagine, during that time, and there were hundreds of people at Schomburg's Landing, cameras going, majesty experiencing the glory of the Tetons on the river. Just imagine, I take this stone, and I skip it across the Snake River, what would happen? Ripple effect. How do you think the photographers would feel? Not very happy. Because what I just did was I marred the image, the glorious image of the Teton on the Snake River. And the ripples ruined that majestic moment. That's what happened when sin entered the world. Sin stained our soul. It marred God's glorious image in us. So let me highlight a few of the things. It's not only true of Adam and Eve, it's true of everyone. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all men. Notice the next phrase. Because all have sinned. It's an absolute inclusive reality. All of us have been marred through sin. We've fallen short of God's glory. His image has been deteriorated. Now, what happens... Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities, your sin, have built barriers between you and your God, and your sins have made him, and this is a hard phrase, folks, hide his face from you so that he does not listen. That was never God's intention. He created humanity for fellowship, but because he is perfectly holy, sin separates us from God. And notice this, the kicker, Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is, folks, this is sobering. It's death, it's death spiritually. Romans 6 says we become slaves to sin and we must, as slaves, obey our master. But guess what? There's great news this morning. There is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So not only do we recognize through the spirit and word of God we have sinned, we've repent, we turn to go God's way. How do we do that? Gospel truth number two. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. So Romans 6.23 is hard, for the wages of sin is death, but look at the contrast. But the gift of God is eternal life in, through, and by Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, that's that beautiful word, caris. It's grace. It's all by grace. You're saved by faith through grace. And the object of our faith is the key here. Please hear me again. We've talked about this in the past. Sometimes we think it's the amount of our faith. You know what Jesus says? No. It has nothing to do with the amount of your faith. Jesus says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, what? You can move a mountain. The issue isn't the amount of faith. Wow, I got faith. Yeah, we're supposed to grow in faith, right? But the issue is the object of our faith. Who is the object of the Christian faith? It's Jesus Christ his death, burial, and resurrection. Folks, the object of our faith is what's crucial here. We put our faith and trust in the living son of God who came and ministered, who blessed, who lived, who performed miracles, who taught. But he hung at Calvary and he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He was buried, he rose from the grave, we're gonna celebrate Easter in two weeks. Hallelujah, the object of our faith is key. And so, let me try to paint a picture of this. Um, Last year, mom called, and mom's 86 at the time, and she says, Keith, hey, could you uh, take me to Costa Rica? I wanna see Dennis, which is her son, my brother. He moved to Costa Rica from New York during COVID, needed a break from New York. So he gets to Costa Rica, mom says, can you take me there? I'll check into it, Mom. Next thing you know, we're going to Costa Rica. This is about a year ago. Then here comes Mom, and here's what she says. I have this on my bucket list. Can you take me zip lining in Costa Rica? Mind you, Mom's 86 years old, Okay, I says, well, I just always try to just lean in and say, well, Mom, I'll check it out. Well, check it out. Here's Mom with her two sons and Ellen. She's the gal in front. Now, Mom's 100 pounds soaking wet, Okay." When she put on this gear, I was like, I'm not sure this is a good thing. So, we load up the vehicle. We head up to the top of the mountain. Let me show you another photo. Mom's getting ready on platform number one. That's Mom. I already went out. I'm on platform number two. Here's what our guides told us. You have one option to turn back. You can go from one to two. If it doesn't work, we can get you home. But if you go from two to three, you're going to finish all twelve. I said, that's a blessing, and that's a challenge. So I went, on my platform two, let me show you a picture of mom flying through the air. This is the coolest picture for me. There's mom. Then she heads over to the platform, and I welcome mom, we give a hug, and I'm like, man, I hope she turns back. So, so I said, what do you think, mom? What do you think? She's like, let's go. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so here's the deal, folks. Um, This was one of the coolest experiences. What a beautiful memory we have. But why did mom do something so risky at age 86? Think about it. She had no idea where we were going ziplining. She had no relationship with the resort or the guides. She had no idea about cables and trees and this and carabiners and that. She had no concept of what it was like to zipline. Why did she go? She had faith. In who? her sons, her daughter-in-law. We had mom's back. There is no way I would risk if I thought there was any kind of safety issue of mom keeping the go-forward. Now, in the scheme of things, there was 12 platforms. Mom did three solo, nine tandem. And I tell you, those those guys in Costa Rica loaded up with mom, together, and when we got down to the base, Dennis and I whipped out some cash together, tipped these guys and said, you took care of mom. Thank you. But the key is, mom did that for one reason. She had faith in her sons that we would take care of her. And so here's the beautiful thing. Mom knows us. She knows we love her, right? I'm 60 plus. That's my mom. We're in this relationship. And the same is true with Jesus. The more we get to know him, both the truth of the person of Christ and the intimacy of the person of Christ. John 5, you know, the abiding in Christ, the, the walking with Christ, walking in the Spirit, the more faith we'll have. And so the question we have to ask today as we think about being gospel-centric, number one, and there should be a point in time, folks, where you'll know this. Did, have you recognized your sinner? You're going the wrong way, your way, self-way. You turn around by the conviction of the word, conviction of the spirit, and you go God's way. You put your faith and trust in Christ. The object of our salvation is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Thank God for that. Secondly, priority number five, disciple-making churches prioritize finishing well finishing well again I'm just walking through this beautiful passage look at verses 22 through 24 so remember Paul spent two years with the Ephesian elders this kind of testimony time he's wrapping up he's summarizing he's giving some challenges here's what he says he says, and now I am on my way to Jerusalem. This is the relief effort. They took up collections in the various churches that were planted. There's 19 members holding Paul financially accountable. They're going to Jerusalem to help the church there, to unify the church there. But notice what happens here. Bound in my spirit, not knowing what I'll encounter there, except in town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. And then he says this, and this is key. But I count my life of no value to myself so that I may finish the course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus, we're back to gospel-centric, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And friends, here's the encouragement this morning. Paul says, you know, metaphorically, My heart's desire is singular. I want to run the spiritual race, which Paul likens to a marathon, not a sprint. I want to run this spiritual marathon and I want to finish and hear Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Is that your goal this morning? To finish well? It's a beautiful goal, folks. Paul in his final epistle before he's martyred in Rome he says this I have fought the good fight I have finished the course I've kept the faith now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day but not only to me but to all who love is appearing I finished the course Paul says this spiritual marathon now can I encourage you today today because this is a serious, serious topic in scripture. It's easier said than done to finish well. It just is. I had a professor in seminary, his name is Dr. Robert Clinton. If you wanna learn about leadership, please just go online, uh, listen to Clinton. He spent his whole ministry career doing one thing, studying leaders in the Bible. You know how many leaders there are in the Bible? Clinton would say at least 800 leaders that God interacted with, worked with. He said there's enough information on about 100 leaders to get a sense of how well they did in their spiritual marathon. Then he extracted 50 of the 100, and there was enough information to study these leaders deeply. Dr. Robert Clinton came up with four categories of leaders and how they finished the race in Scripture. Let me see if you can identify with any of these. The first one is cut off early. Cut off early. These are individuals like Samson, a judge, a man of God, who got distracted by lesser living, sinful lifestyle. Got cut off early. If you know the story, basically pulled the temple down and crushed him. Secondly, finished poorly. Individuals like King Saul, the first king of Israel, Maybe you're familiar with Demas. A co-worker of the Apostle Paul, Paul says this in 2 Timothy, Demas loved this present world and forsook me. We never hear of Demas again. He finished poorly, at best. Third, finished so-so. And this is a hard one for me here. King David, I put, actually Robert Clinton puts in this list. You know why? David started out as a shepherd boy with a heart for God. But friends, it didn't stay like that. David drifted on numerous occasions, including adultery and murder. His son Solomon, read First Kings 5, started out being endowed with wisdom from above and what happens? He gets distracted again too from foreign women and finishes so-so. But then there's the group, and I hope this is true for the vast majority of us here today, the group that finishes well. You know some of the names, Joshua and Caleb, Deborah, one of the judges, Esther, the teenage queen, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Paul and Peter, individuals that finished well. So folks, there's four categories right there that have been highlighted through a lifetime of study of leaders in scripture. Given your current race right now, given the current spiritual trajectory you're on, where do you think you would end up? Would you finish well? Would you hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is there anything in your life today that would warrant getting cut off early, finished poorly, or finishing so-so? God longs for you to finish this race well. You know what Clinton concluded? And this is a daunting statistic. It's very sobering to me. It's a warning. One out of three leaders in Scripture out of the group of 50 finished well. Friends, that's not good statistics. What that means in this group right here today, potentially only one out of three will finish well. We get to choose. Paul says, I want to testify of the gospel. I want to finish well. I want to go all in and and honor the Lord. So I could give you this morning dozens of reasons to purpose to finish well, but I just want to give you two Uh, Reason number one, finishing well makes the gospel believable. Please hear me, folks. We're not talking about perfection. Peter wasn't perfect, right? He denied the Lord three times, but he got back into the game. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about direction finishing well makes the gospel believable when i study and read the life of the apostle paul he inspires me oh my goodness he hated christ he persecuted the church and yet he goes through all this suffering and heartache and he finishes well that inspires me when i read about billy graham who almost turned 100 before he went to glory and knowing about the modesto manifesto and for 70 years was all in Finishing well, that inspires. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 3, 2, you yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, recognized and read by everyone. You see, the gospel goes forth, folks, in two ways, in word, repentance and faith, and in testimony, Indeed, People watch Paul's life, and his life was transformational. Your life speaks. Is it a fragrance for Christ? or the ripple effects that are just, ugh, let your life speak. You're a living letter. Secondly, finishing well brings glory to God. John chapter 17 is one of the most beautiful chapters in scripture. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. It's right before Jesus goes to Calvary, before he's arrested. So he prays this prayer, and we have record of it. He says, Father, I've glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Think about it. He had a work, right? Calvary, we know that. I've glorified you, Father, by finishing well, by completing the work, by dying, by resurrecting and commissioning my servants to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Those are two of many, many reasons to finish well. Priority number six, disciple-making church prioritized teaching all of scripture. So track with me here. Verses 25 through 27. Again, Paul with the Ephesian elders, he's kind of recounting two years. Here's what he says. And now I know that none of you will ever see my face again. Every one I went about preaching the kingdom to, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of everyone's blood. And notice this next phrase. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. Another beautiful truth. Paul taught the scriptures. Now again, we didn't have the New Testament at this time. It's starting to be written. So basically, we had the 39 books of the Old Testament, right? Genesis to Malachi. But those two years, he taught hard. He shared the word of God. He realized this from Psalm 119, 160. The entirety of your word is truth. And so Paul proclaimed the entirety of the word. You know what's a blessing about going the entirety route? You don't get to pick and choose. And there's a lot of picking and choosing today in a lot of ministries. And so Westwind's application of this, we like to teach from the New Testament, then the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Testament. So in a few months, we'll head into Malachi, and then we'll go to 1 Thessalonians beginning of the new year we'll look at the book of ecclesiastes we believe this the sum of god's word is truth this is the great commission right teaching them to obey everything i've commanded you jesus said and so why do we teach the whole counsel of god again i could give dozens of reasons but let me present two right now number one purity of life and friends this is so important in the day and age we live david cried out lord How can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to your word. You know what Jesus said? Again, back to John 17, the high priestly prayer. He says, Father, sanctify them by truth. Where do we get truth? Your word is truth. But secondly, and this comes right from the text, purity of truth. Look at verses 28 through 31. There's a remarkable phrase in this passage. So again, Paul's with the elders He's never going to see him again in Ephesus. He knows he's going to Jerusalem. They're suffering hardship. He's bound for Rome. He thinks his days are done. He's given some warnings. So here's what he says. Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed to you as overseers. To do what? Elders? To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And then here's what Paul says. I know that after my departure, listen to this metaphor here. If you're in agrarian society, savage wolves aren't a very popular thing, especially for shepherds. He says, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. This is a warning. This is devastating. The sheep can be devoured. He says, men will rise up from your own number. From within the church, there's going to be problems. And then notice this next phrase. With deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. And all you have to do is look at church history. You see this all the time. That's why many councils were put together. That's why many heresies had to be eradicated. And so, therefore, what does he say? Beyond the alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I did not stop warning each one of you with tears. So this past Thursday, I asked the elders about this. I said, hey, guys, give me a little help. What are some of the deviant doctrines that you see happening in 21st century evangelicalism, even in the church? The first one that came out was universalism. This has been around, it's been more popular in the past 30 to 40 years. Do you know what universalism teaches? It's real simple, there's many ways to God. You choose your way, I choose my way. Just as long as you're sincere, it's all good. There's no uniqueness about the Christian doctrine, about Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. All roads lead to heaven. I hope you realize that's not true. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Universalism isn't true. Be gracious, but bring the gospel. Secondly... One of our elders says, we're challenged today, the church, with our sexual identity. And again, because time is limited here, all I want to encourage you to do is, as our culture struggles, as the church struggles, be people of the book. Let the word of God establish our identity, who we are, how God created us. Go back to the text. Let the text speak, not the culture speak. Don't go with the popular opinion. Be sensitive, be loving, be caring. But let scripture speak regarding our identity. And third, biblical illiteracy. I thought this was an interesting one. Jason Dean brought that up, and I agree with Jason. And I could give you statistic after statistic, folks. We really have had a landslide of a lack of biblical literacy. We're no longer as the church now. I'm not talking about the world. People of the book. Read a story the other day. It was kind of a kooky story. 17-year-old girl passes out at work, so they treat her. And come to find out, she testifies that she lives on uh, uh, McDonald's McNuggets and, and, and fries. That's what she's lived on for years. That's basically been her diet for years. So let me show you a picture of this. And so uh, as she told her story, uh, her and her boyfriend, daily, regularly, for years, um, lives on McNuggets and fries. No fruits, no vegetables, McNuggets and fries. So she learned the hard way, man shall not live by, you finish it, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Ellen kind of laughed, so I said, okay, maybe I'll use it. Yeah, man shall not live by McNuggets alone, but by every word that proceeds of the mouth of God. And folks, yeah, it's humorous, it's silly, but it's true sometimes, Where do we get our truth? Jesus said, by every word that comes from the mouth of God, being people of the book, what a blessing it is to live like that. And so, how do we do this? Paul gives us two things. Can I mention it to you? Number one, he says, personal soul care. And elders, again, this is a directive to you, but I think the application is for all of us. If we're gonna shepherd our families, if we're gonna shepherd our home, if we're gonna be shepherds, Uh, within our sphere of influence personal soul care where do i get that look at verse 28 be on guard for yourself for all the flock that the holy spirit has appointed you to uh, as overseers so it starts with personal soul care it starts with individuals we gotta meet god in a personal way and one of the reasons we're, we're moving as a church towards spiritual formation, personal responsibility for, personal, for spiritual growth, spiritual pathways, which was such a highlight, we want everyone here to take personal responsibility for their faith journey. You know what'll happen? You take personal responsibility for your faith journey during the week, and you come to worship filled up with God, you're gonna overflow in this environment. God will be glorified. People will be encouraged. Your life will be a living letter. It's a personal thing. But secondly, it's a corporate soul care. Look what Paul says about the elders. He says, be on guard for yourself, elders, and for all the flock of God. We as elders have to care for the whole flock. That is our charge. That is our commission. Now, how did Paul do it? Let me show you a few things. Look back at Acts 19, 9 through 10. He says, every day, I was in the lecture hall. For two years, I preached Christ. Look at Acts 20. He says, I taught publicly and I went house to house. Paul was a man of the book. And he realized that corporate teaching is as valid as personal teaching. And so the two great approaches are personal soul care, corporate soul care. And friends, I want to encourage you this morning, we really shouldn't have one without the other. When you come fed throughout the week, do you know what happens to our body? Our body is built up and encouraged. But when you're fed here on Sunday morning, whether it's in life group during the week or children's ministry or corporate worship, boy, that pushes you for the week to come. So let's lean into both. Let's keep, as we said week one, prioritizing corporate worship. Why? So we can be fed. We can grow. We can be nurtured in our lord now finally and this is beautiful disciple making churches prioritize sacrificial giving so look at verses 32 through 38 so stick with me we'll wrap up uh, the passage and so paul's departing he's never going to see the ephesus ephesian elders again he says and now i commit to you to god and to the message of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourself know that these hands have provided for my needs. And notice this next phrase, and for those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that by laboring like this, it is necessary to help the weak, to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus, for he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There was a great deal of weeping by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they escorted him to the ship. I had an aha moment this past week. Sometimes you read the Bible and certain things just jump off the pages. Here's what jumped off the pages. He says, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my needs. That's easy. Paul was a tent maker. He did this before. We've seen that. Here was the aha moment. And for those who were with me, I never saw that before. We have a team of nine from three regions where he planted churches, traveling to Jerusalem, which is quite a trip. And he says, I'm back to tent making in Ephesus. I'm providing for my own needs, but I'm also providing for my team's needs. I call that sacrificial generosity. I call that over the top. Paul went above and beyond to bless his teammates. Why? So they could be uh, caregivers to the church in Jerusalem. So they could unify the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile, as one. What a blessing. And so, again, I think uh, pastoring now uh, Westwind for nearly four years, I can say this. That's Westwind. We see the sacrificial generosity. We see you giving and we're so thankful. And I do wanna give just a a moment uh, to update on our capital initiative. Uh, Some of you inquire, hey, how we doing? I wanna say this, extending our reach is doing really well. We are about 15 months into the uh, capital initiative and what we do in this kind of structural ministry is we talk about being on pace. And here's the encouragement. We are absolutely on pace. And so what that means is Bank Iowa, Jim Plague is going to be happy. You're going to be happy, Jim? Sure. All right. And we're happy too, super duper happy. What that means is you have said yes to your pledges and you're fulfilling them. Thank you, Westwind Church. Thank you for living sacrificially. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Why? We have the privilege to see his kingdom come. Let's stand together. Let's pray. And we'll close with a song. Father, what a blessing to see the life of Paul changed by the gospel. Thank you that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, that Westwind Church is a gospel-centric church. And I pray your spirit would do a work in all our lives, Lord, to realize that, yes, we've marred your glory and we can repent of that. We can turn from ourself and sin and turn to you, Lord, and put our faith and trust in Jesus. And Father, we ask for your glory if If someone hasn't crossed the line of faith, turned from their sin, turned to the Savior, you would bring that holy work today. Father, thank you for your word. All of it, Genesis to Revelation, we never want to pick and choose, Lord. We do believe with all our heart your word is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Keep making us a people of the book, Father. Thank you, Lord, for a church that reflects the generosity of God. So many have been so sacrificial over the past year plus. We give you glory for that. And so, Father, two weeks to reflect on what it means to be a disciple making church. We're on a journey, we know that. We haven't perfected anything, but we're directed. To you, keep growing us, Father, we pray. Thank you for our Vision Proper team. They've helped so much in the past year. Thank you for beautiful spaces like the Sacred Pathways Retreat, for Leadership Pipeline tomorrow. We ask your blessing on that group gathering. Thank you for those who are saying yes to baptism, Lord, to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Hallelujah. There's so much to give thanks for. And so, Father, we stand in awe of you and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.